Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Ricky Velez grew up in a blue-collar family in Queens and started living a blue-collar career before he discovered comedy, roomed with Pete Davidson, and won the New York's Funniest Stand-Up Competition, in that order. After winning that contest in 2014, Velez rose quickly through the ranks, earning a gig as a correspondent on Comedy Central's The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore and appearing on Variety's 10 Comics to Watch list. He has since appeared on Netflix's Master of None, Comedy Central's This Week at the Comedy Cellar, and he reunited with Davidson to co-star and co-produce the 2020 film The King of Staten Island. Davidson and Judd Apatow now have teamed up to produce Velez's first stand-up comedy special, Here's Everything, for HBO. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, last things first, uh, how does it feel to be so big that your agency representation makes it into the trades? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know if that's a thing. Is it? I think, don't they do that for everybody? I um, think only, only once you're a certain certain stage in your in the business does deadline go <laughs> wme is sign ricky velez News- I'm, uh, yeah the life's been crazy <laughs> life has been crazy but i'm i'm really trying to take it all in and enjoy it um all of this is a bit surreal to me you know i uh i grew up here in new york and it's 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 been really cool and i come from a blue collar family and me and my brothers are really enjoying and loving all of it. Is, uh, is fame and success, is that something they teach you or they prepare you for at the Frank Sinatra school? <laughs> I'm glad you brought them up because they will not <laughs> recognize me. I'll tell you that much. You know, we almost did the special there. Really? Well, they've got a great yeah. auditorium. Gorgeous auditorium. A beautiful auditorium. So we went to go do it there, and the school said yes. The Board of Education shut me down. And it's like, I went to the performing arts school. I come back with Judd Apatow and you guys, and Michael Bonfiglio. But I understand it's supposedly I can be saying things that can be triggering for children, and that's how they took it. But uh, I mean, it's it's funny you say, do they teach you that? Because <laughs> you almost become jaded to celebrities at a very young age because they're just walking around the hallways of your school. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tony Bennett, I Tony Bennett was around. I used to see Tony Bennett a lot. Billy Joel, him and Tony Bennett put out an album together while I was there and they were around. Lady Gaga's often at the school. It's a, it's a really crazy, incredible experience. Was that experience, did that help solidify your, your aspirations for comedy instead of a blue-collar job? No, I, uh, I, I think I left that school 
almost with a bad taste in my mouth about theater. I think I was too young and immature to really uh, take in what they were teaching. Um, and I left and just went to school. I went to college for less than a year, then uh, came home and tried to join the military. And I got denied to the military and I started laying carpet. My buddy has a carpet company, uh, and the carpet company, what they do is they do events. So I would basically be like laying carpet for like fashion week and like movie, like red carpets for like movies and all this other stuff. And uh, then I ended up uh, now, like sometimes when I show up to things, I'm like, yo, did the halls do this? Did the halls <laughs> put down this carpet? <laughs> but um yeah, and then uh, I was 19 at that time, and I was pretty miserable, and there was a lot of depression and whatnot, and I knew there was something that needed to go down. My mom wanted me to get back into acting, but I needed the instant gratification that stand-up gives, and um, it's given me that for a long time now, and I love it. So I know that you were roommates with, with Pete Davidson, uh, before a long time before you co-starred with him in King of Staten Island. But tell me what that's like when you're 21 and he's a lanky 16 year old and you're like, yeah, I want to live with that guy. Uh, when he, when he got his, when we were living in Brooklyn Heights, he was 18 at this point. Okay. Um, it was funny because like, I think he had just like got him wiling out. And like we were doing enough shows, but I mean, it was just a fun time in our lives that was definitely like not healthy. I'll tell you that much. It's just like, <laughs> there's always smoke in there, but, um, it was definitely, uh, what made us, I mean, that's my brother. That's, that, that's how that's, I've been, we've been through it thick and thin. Um, but at the end of the day, we just we're just best friends, and it was a great experience. I loved living with Pete, but I'd never do it again, nor tell anybody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you stay do you stand out front and wait for TMZ to to roll up on the latest relationship and go? I I told them don't move in with Pete. I told them. <laughs> No, I have nothing <laughs> to say to those people, man. I got That's... no time for any of that. Um, I, it's just weird because we'll just be like walking down the street and those people show up and it's right. it makes it, it's uncomfortable. Um, so then what was it like then in 2014? Because that was the year that both of you broke through. You know, that's the year that yeah. Pete got SNL and then you won the New York's Funniest Competition. And then that yeah, springboarded that's... into the nightly show. Yeah. Um, that was cool. I mean, that was, that was awesome. I, I, we both were just loving it. The life was really great at that time. You know, um, I got variety top 10 the next year and then it was just a great time. It really was. And it was interesting because in 2016, I lost my mom while I was on the nightly show. And then within three months I lost the nightly show. And then like, it was just a really tough time. So like, it was a great experience. I loved the nightly show for what it was, but I learned very quickly. I don't like making daily television. Okay. Yeah. 
How there was just not, so there was just something to the idea of like. I remember I messed up one night and one of the writers turned to me and goes, well, you have tomorrow. And I just didn't like that response. <laughs> I was just like, I didn't like that response. I was like, oh, I like to like have control, make something, be able to run through the edits of it and do whatever. But it's like, that's not what that world is. That's, that's interesting to hear you say that because some stand-up comedians have the philosophy of, oh, well, if I mess up this show, I do have the next show. To rebound. Yeah. Well, they, that's why I like stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> that's why stand-up's awesome. I don't think that's, like, the same reason I love... Uh, I Yeah, I, stand-up, That I'm fine with that. But when it's going out to the world, mm-hmm. I, I like to have a little bit more control. You, you mentioned your mom's passing and how yeah. that kind of coincided with also losing the TV show. How did you cope with that mentally and emotionally? Um, it actually took a few years. Um, I said this yesterday, but like, even in these moments when life is so fun and fast and the rest of that, like, there's probably like three times a day I go, damn, I wish she could see this. Damn, I wish she could have been there. Or, you know, I brought my mom to Montreal Comedy Festival. Um, not a lot of people do that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> losing her during this journey, like really sucked. So to segue out of that, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's just, I, I would suppose that one of the, the healing parts of the process would then be that you did get to work on King of Staten Island with, with your, with your friend and, and you did I get think, to like mold that. I think the, the healing process for me was found on stage a lot. There was a okay. lot of nights. Um, and I love Emilio Savone for this. He owns New York comedy club now. And he, uh, he would just let me sit on stage, talk, and um, learn how to process it. And uh, I think a lot of the healing actually came when I had my first child. Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, because you do mention in the special about how, you know, you just try to be a better parent than your parents were. And so, yeah. and plus, because, because you have a, a small child who, if you stay through the end credits, you actually get to, see jam out on the guitar he's um, a man he's so cool dude <laughs> he's so cool but you know a lot of comedians they have a kid and then they're just like okay great this is this is a new half hour of, of material but then you have a kid and then the pandemic hits and then suddenly oh you get to spend all of this quality time now which was really cool because people like when you work on a movie with Judd Apatow, you're, 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 you're working on that movie full time. When I was a producer, I was basically working six days a week and my only day off was Saturday. And we would write and write and write. And I basically, my first summer that my child was alive for, I wasn't around. So then we got a full year. (laughs) um, It was, uh, yeah, it was, I, 
as someone that hated the pandemic as much as I did, there were things that happened within it, like getting to work with Judd and getting to write with Judah Miller and Judd through the whole entire pandemic and just learning a new muscle that I've never had before that I feel very grateful for. And also getting to spend the time with my kid that I got. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, being being a carpenter and then also uh, as you're successful and you get to walk these red carpets, looking at the carpet and wondering if that's the same carpet. Uh, when you go back and you, you watch The King of Staten Island, are there parts where you can just point and go, that that was me, that, that scene was me or that oh, yeah. line? Yeah, uh, there's a few of them. We're not supposed to count them, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to count who shows got in, but I, uh, dude, getting to write jokes for Marissa Tomei and Burr, like getting to send things like that's that's one of the things that like was super cool. Getting to write for those guys, and 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 it was just really incredible and. uh I just felt lucky to be put in that position. And Judd has just kept putting me in that position. I punch up scripts. I do. Uh, I got to work with him on this bubble script that he did in London during pandemic. And um, he's, uh, he's, he's just put me in really good position to use these tools and make something great for myself. What's the, what's the one joke or scene in, in King of Staten Island that you can't resist telling everybody about? I don't really tell anybody. I don't want to do that because I, I'm not, I, I, I would say that's so I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, my favorite was the, I mean, the fa- my favorite thing that happened on that set that ended up being the commercial was the knock, knock, who's there, not your dad joke, <laughs> because that wasn't, that was just improv and me and Pete have done that joke to one another before like knock knock who's there not your mom and then like we just that's funny that's how dark we are right and I remember right after I did it like the amount of people that were we ended up going with the original cut of when I said it and I remember trying to redo it as excited as I was to do it in front of everybody and we had Bob Elslett shooting that. He made There Will Be Blood. And he was even laughing his ass off when he heard that. And then <laughs> Judd said, he goes, that will either be in the trailer or we're going to have to take it out of the movie. <laughs> like, we don't know if people are going <laughs> to love it or hate it. And then when, it, when I sort of make the trailer, I was like, yes, it worked. We got it. Uh, on the flip side, what then did Judd and Pete bring to you in the writing of your special since you had the the whole pandemic to think about how the special was going to evolve um judges brings me into experiences where it makes me expand my writing i was saying in my, my past interview he brought me to bruce springsteen on broadway and like we sat like dead center eye to eye with Bruce and I didn't know anything about Bruce Springsteen dude I'm like I don't I'm a Queens kid bro I like rap 50 Cent was from my neighborhood yeah dude like I can't I'm telling you like I just didn't like that wasn't my jam and then I went to this play and it was one of the best 
plays I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And that's coming from somebody that in high school, I went to plays all the time with my school. And it was just such an amazing thing. And the way he talked about his family and the way he, he, how funny he was doing it, even though it was so heartbreaking and the rest of that really made me expand the stuff on my family where within three weeks out from taping, I'm now expanding a joke and, getting the crowd uneasy and learning how to, so Judd does things like that. And he's also, what I love about Judd is he goes ahead and he lets, he puts you in a place to be the most creative you can be. You never feel stupid. You never feel, uh, 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 if you're wrong, he explains it, um, which he doesn't have to. Judd could just go, no. And <laughs> that, that could be that. And I'm, I've worked with people like that and it's not like that at all. And there's no ego with it. So it's just a great place to be. And Pete, Pete is, I mean, half the jokes are just from me and him having conversations and things we find funny. And he's also been one of my biggest advocates. So yeah, I, 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 I all the credit is due to those guys. Well, Ricky, I uh, I know it's a it's a press day for you, so I thank you for <laughs> for putting me on Sean, the list or, or keeping me on the list. No, absolutely, Sean. Thank you so much. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.